That's the podcast coach for June 4th, 2022. Let's get ready to podcast. There it is. It's that fun-filled music that means, hey, it's Saturday. It's June 4th. It's time for Ask the Podcast Coach, where you get your podcast questions answered live. I'm Dave Jackson from the School of Podcasting.com. And right over there is not Jim Cullison, but it's uh it, it it's it's Neil Headley. You said I said Knopf Studios. I do not say Knopf Knopf. It's K-N-O-P-P Studios.com. Neil Headley, my friend. Welcome to the show. I love it. I love that you and I do this back and forth thing in our own podcast. Yeah, that's where we kind of like call each other out. It's fun. <laughs> I had here's that's a fun podcasting thing. I had a, a early day listener of podcasters, Tim Dewey of the Sled Dog Podcast. And here's the fun thing: there's somewhere Slim uh, Tim Dewey is going. Oh my God, Dave Jackson! And he said, "I talk to you more than I talk to my friends, and my friends live about three houses down the street." Because he would leave feedback on a voicemail, I would play it in my show. And then he would then comment again, and he's like, you know, I I don't talk to my friends this much, but uh, but yes, Neil, you you've done everything. Uh, you were on my show a while back. He's got a radio background. He's got an advertising background. He's got a TV background. He's a comedian, author, a psychic. Any other titles we should throw in there? Um, Cross country ballroom uh, dancer. Let's see, a nightclub singer, a former restaurateur. Which is fun, by the way. If you ever have $300,000 that you just want to throw into the street, open a restaurant. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what else is in there. There's stuff. And if you're hearing me and going, Dave, you sound a little different, it's because welcome aboard COVID-19. Oh, fun for the whole family, everyone. It's uh, I'm back from PodFest, and I think I know 12 people now that had Kim. I never saw Kim. Kim never made it out of her... uh, her, uh, what you call it? Uh, that, that room thing that you go to, but, uh, you know, what could have maybe helped her out is she could have poured herself a cup of Joe. Cause you know, that always helps. And then, uh, that, of course that coffee pour, the invisible coffee pour, there we go. <laughs> He's got it. It's brought to you by our good friend, Mark over at podcastbranding.co. If, uh, if you want to look good, doing anything, whether that's a lead magnet, your artwork, your website, anything, you want to make a good impression, then you want to go over to podcastbranding.co. And the reason for that is Mark not only is an award-winning graphic artist, but hey, he's a podcaster. And Neil, check this out. He's polite because you guessed it. He's a Canadian. Even better, he will sit down with you one-on-one and really go over what your show is, how you want it to feel, how you want it to look, and so that all of your branding matches your podcast. Because you got to remember, we work so hard on the gear and the content and things like that, but they're actually going to see you before they hear you. So when you want to look professional, when you want to look good, there's only one place to go, and that is podcastbranding.co. And we always just want to give a quick shout out to our buddy Dan over at Based on a True Story podcast. If you're ever watching a show and it starts off with the phrase based on a true story, uh, you can listen to Dan's show over at Based on a True Story podcast dot com. 
and find out, well, just how much of that was like actual based on a true story and how much of it was, ah, we're going to embellish a little bit. And uh, thanks, Dan, for uh, supporting the uh, show as well as Mark. But uh, Neil, let me ask where I call you out for stepping on the vocal in the jingle back there. That's it. I was going to ask you, I'm like, hey, did you notice they stepped all over the jingle? That was awesome. You know, you have many years in radio and also copywriting and advertising. Uh, if you have any questions, as always, I should mention this. We're at askthepodcastcoach.com slash live. We're watching the chat room. So if you have a, a question, pop it in there. Or if you want to just jump in, it's askthepodcastcoach.com slash join. And the more I talk, this is one of the things, things where I haven't talked all week. Uh, and I can see where like, right, mm-hmm. come noon, this is going to be fun. But uh, what makes... What makes a good ad? Like, I know a lot of podcasters right now are thinking, hey, you know how I'm going to grow my show? I'm going to advertise on other podcasts. So is there any magic formula or common mistakes that people make, things like that, when it comes to advertising? The common formula is uh, the the biggest trick, don't suck. Um, Look, people don't hate ads. They hate bad ads. Um, and the very first words out of my mouth in my copywriting 101 course uh, that I'm not sitting here to plug, but it, it's out there. The very first words out of my mouth is you ever notice on YouTube, there's a skip ads button, but there isn't a play ad again button because the assumption even on YouTube's part is that nobody wants to see the commercial. Nobody wants to hear your commercial because it's probably bad. And that's a universal that's why YouTube never even probably entertained the idea of putting the button there. I don't know, by the way, how the sponsors feel about, you know, you pay to get your ads on YouTube and then four seconds into your ad, there's a skip ad button. I don't know how I would feel about that if I were shelling out the bucks for that. Yeah, is um, I know for me, I used to listen to a uh, a podcast, not because I like the podcast, uh, but because the ads actually were so good. They were there were for products and stuff that um, I'd never heard of. Like I just started, what? I can't remember the channel. Oh, when I was sick, the last day of PodFest, I felt so bad I didn't even leave my room. And I was watching, I believe it was, well, it was Naked and Afraid, whatever channel that is on. And I got a whole different slew of commercials because it's people that have a advertising budget, but not a big enough budget to advertise on a bigger channel. So I kept seeing products. Sure. That were uh, uh, much better. I, I see you've adjusted your volume. Beautiful. Uh, let us know, chat. Room. I think I have. Yes, you're, you're. I know you are on my side, so that's cool. But uh, yes, he is wearing a lavalier, and so I'm, I'm with you. Bad ads are, you know, those are the ones you fast forward through, and uh, the the chat room is going to freak out because you don't have a microphone. Uh, what lovely lavalier are you wearing? Because you know, podcasters want to know. So. I got this off of Amazon for $19. There you go. The AG. And it has uh, served me well for a couple. The reason I'm wearing a lav, by the way, and an IFB earpiece um, is Dave is catching me just as I came off of a TV thing I do every Saturday morning. I'm a commentator on a cable news net here in Canada. uh, and, And so... This is the TV gear, and rather than go set everything back up out in the studio, out in the garage, I thought, nah, let's just turn the camera around and sit on the couch. It's more comfy and casual for this gathering. There you go. 
I wanted to bring up two things I saw at PodFest. And um, Neil, I'll give you the pop quiz. You have five episodes. You've decided to launch with five, not four, not six, not two. You obsessed for probably three months, and you said, I'm going to launch with five episodes. And five people subscribe to your show. How many people actually get, how many downloads do you get from that? A, uh, five. There we go. That's it. That's why he's the king, friends. Yeah. It's not 25. And I saw somebody say you get 25 downloads, and it took everything I had not to say. You know, I, I do want to be respectful to the person on stage, but I was like, we, we proved that one wrong about four years ago. And then the other thing yeah. that, um, have you ever heard of listen notes? Uh, I haven't, and I, I've seen people making references to it, again, on the Twitter machine, which is where I spend yeah. uh, most of my misspent time. But I, I haven't had even enough time to Google around and see what that is yet. It's, it's a, here's what it's great for. It's a great search engine. So if you're trying to find an interview of Neil on the School of Podcasting, now granted, you could go to schoolofpodcasting.com, but you could probably find it because we all know WordPress search especially is not great. It's a great place to find interviews. And just if you're trying to search through podcasts, that's a place to go. But they have this thing called the Listen Notes score and the Listen Notes ranking. And it says on oh. on their website that, uh, like, are, are you ready for this? This is, uh, you know, mm. I'm, I'm, I need to somehow put the plaque behind me. I'm in the top 1% of listen notes. And that sounds so good. Right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, except it says here, uh, we developed a mathematical model to calculate a listen note score for each podcast based on the first party data, which in this case is activities on listen notes.com and third party data. Which so it's is- a cloud score. Exactly. And we know how important that was. So media mentions and then my favorite word in the world, reviews, uh, which would be reviews, I believe, again, on listen notes, not even like Apple reviews or something like that. Um, We were inspired by standardized metrics such as Nielsen ratings, credit score, domain authority, et cetera, et cetera. But realize this is all based on almost all of it is on listen note data. And almost everybody you ask, have you ever heard of listen notes goes, what? What? And yet people are going, well, what was interesting is I saw the person that said, I'm in the top 2%. And they did not add of listen notes. They just said, I'm a top 2% podcaster. And I went, okay, either A, you you know that that particular uh, criteria, that whatever distinction is bogus, and you're going to use it anyway because you know most people don't know that's bogus, which is slightly deceitful, or um, you don't know, and you're, you're leaving yourself open to look silly because those of us that know that is, but you know what I mean? It's just like, wow, I just, I was surprised that um, that was coming out. And, and um, so don't, don't quote your list note score unless you're purposely trying to pull the wools over somebody's eyes. You would probably know how, how did Nielsen ratings, I don't know if they're still, I'm assuming they're still using them kind of maybe in the radio TV yeah. world. Huh? Yeah. Nielsen in fact is doing, Nielsen is in, is doing radio now too. Um, and have been for a while. Uh, and, and it used to be back in the, back in the day, as Dave Jackson <laughs> likes to use this voice when he says back in the day, um, back in the day. And I don't know how it worked for television. I think it was a similar 
methodology, but what they used to do, and if Tom Webster's here, I know Tom Webster likes to lurk uh, and listen to the show incognito, and he'll remember these days well. What they used to do, for at least for radio, is they would send a diary to your house, oh. and it was basically a calendar. And what you had to do was you would write down, okay, Monday I listened to, uh, you know, Bubba and the Grease Balls on K97 <laughs> from 7.15 until 9, blah, blah, blah. And then you would write down everything you listened to on every station for the entirety of a week. But here's what happened. And they would pay you like a tiny little, you know, they'd throw you a couple bucks for filling out the survey. But here's what happened. And broadcasters knew how to game the system because what most people did is it would get to like Thursday and everybody would be, oh, I forgot to fill out that stupid radio thing. Hold on. Let me sit down. And they would start trying to remember what they listened to over the course of a week. Well, you can't. And so most people would just write down what they were listening to that day and pretend that that's what they listened to for the whole week. So radio stations universally used to have their big contests and their big giveaways and their big guests all scheduled for Thursday because they knew that was the day most people filled out their diaries and they wanted to game the system. So the bigger you could be on a Thursday, never, if you have a radio station, never give away the grand prize in your contest on Monday. No, 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 because nobody's filling out their diaries on Monday. I mean, now it's people meters. Um, which is the same thing I think Nielsen uses for television, mm. where every station has a unique tone, inaudible tone that is buried in their audio signal, kind of like, you know, mosquitoes hate a certain audio frequency. Um, and it's unique to each station. You wear a thing that's like a pager that can pick up that tone. And that's and it knows exactly how many minutes you listened and when you started, where you stopped, blah, blah, blah. It knows if you're in your car, all these different things. So the ratings now are far more accurate than they used to be. But then there's areas where it's like, okay, we didn't really give you a real. And again, Tom Webster would know 50 times more about this aspect of it than I do. The sample size is skewed based on where they sent it and whether it's an accurate reflection of the population in a particular town. So maybe there's a larger Hispanic community and they didn't get as many people meters as this. And it's just... It's a crapshoot. And it's it's always about putting the best spin you can on the most optimistic numbers you get, which is why this listen notes thing has traction, because if you wave higher numbers for anything in front of a podcaster's face, they'll go, oh, I like you. <laughs> well, did you hear uh, Tom Webster moved over to Sounds Profitable from uh, from? Yes. Yes. And his first episode explained how to spot kind of. Maybe not as accurate. I'm trying to be polite here, or, or like I know. Um, oh, I know it, but I can't remember the name of it. I'll come back to that. But Tom said that basically there are certain things you could do, like even like how long the the survey is going on, and based on what time and the weather. He had all sorts of great points. That I never thought of how it can affect the data, but there is a. Um, mm-hmm. I, it will come to me later in the show, probably. But I know there is a. Fairly popular, I can't believe it's not popping in my head, but there's a uh, kind of a data website and they report occasionally on podcasting and it's usually these insane kind of, you know, this, uh, you know, Godzilla is coming to, you know, Spotify and he's getting his own show and you're like, wait, what? That kind of stuff. And so one was about downloads 
And so Rob Walt from Libsyn went over to, to Todd at Blueberry and a, some Buzzsprout people and market cap. Like, he's like, hey, did anybody talk to this company about this? Because that seems really wacky. And the answer was no. Like, like, and we're kind of, and so he reached out, I was like, hey, what's, what's the data source for this? And they basically said, oh, we just kind of go out and look at stuff. And it was like, okay, but like, we have the data, we can show you actual facts. Well, we kind of feel it's, this is basically what they said. And we're like, oh, so yeah, yeah so that's, that's always kind of fun. And uh, DR says that uh, she used to many moons ago, I used to have to scan all my groceries and receipts with a Nielsen scanner. It was a total pain in my butt. Yep, exactly. So um, pod chaser is different. That's, that's again, ratings and reviews. And that's based on pod chasers. So, but here's, this really goes back to Neil, why are you doing your show? But the voice in my head is, it's just kind of me rambling about in a, in a semi-focused way. I try to keep the episodes under 10 minutes um, about the various bits and pieces. And I've picked up a lot of stuff in 40 years as uh, an on-air host, as a producer, as a writer, as a copywriter, as a, you know, all these different things. And it occurred to me at some point that there was probably a, a knowledge base there that I could share. And so every once in a while, I'll jot down some notes on the stuff that I happen to be passionate about this week. And the triggers are all over the place. Um, it can be a commercial that I heard on the radio that makes me think to myself, why do people write things into their commercials like, such and such, you know, um, um, conveniently located is one of my favorite ones. If you're hearing a commercial uh, on the radio or anywhere else and they tell you that they're conveniently located, well, then those people are idiots. And the commercial was written by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, because even if my car breaks down directly over the hoist in your auto repair shop, it is not conveniently located. There is nothing convenient about that. And what if I'm listening and you're telling me that your uh, your your wonderful vintage vinyl record store in uh, Nashville is conveniently located? Well, that's great. I'm listening in Seattle to your stream. How convenient is that again? But again, it's it's bits and pieces like that. It's the conversation we had before about how obsessed all of us as podcasters are about audio and I will raise my hand and claim guilty for that as well because my wife will tell you that I was up for I was sitting in on this couch for about <laughs> seven hours last night trying to get the video and the audio just the way I wanted them for my TV stuff that I did this morning mm. because this this is not my normal setup. My normal setup's out in the garage, but I'm doing the soundproofing over and putting up a new backdrop and it's just not ready for Broadway. Um, well, so we all obsess, but it's the bits and pieces like that that occur to me and it's whatever happens to tweak me on a given week. It could be one week it could be about podcasting. The next week could be about copywriting. It's, it's a Forrest Gump podcast because you never know what you're going to get. But you also do like a very cool no hard, you, you basically do two things. It, it's like, hey, if you find any value in this, um, you know, you can buy me a coffee, but you also say, if there's a way I can help you out. And then when you go to knopstudios.com, you can see there's copywriting, there's podcasting, there's all sorts of stuff. And so while you're doing this to, to and it's a really great show, uh, I love it. And, and, but you're also like, hey, you know, if you want to hire me, you can do that. 
And that's really, is that kind of like why you're like the, the goal of this is to get more clients? It's kind of like, have you heard uh, Tom's podcast that he does with his uh, intrepid wife, Tamsin, uh, called The Free Noter? No, I've not. It, it Tom, if you're lurking, I, I, I wish I knew whether or not you were lurking because The Free Noter uh, literally changed my life. It's a podcast that they did a few years ago. They only did, I want to say, something like 13 or 14 episodes. Um, but it deals with the idea of being a public speaker but not charging for it. And the idea is that you get on a stage and I, I'm beginning to do this locally with one of the chambers of commerce here in, in the town that we're staying in, um, where you give a, you, you give a talk at an event, whether it's an event that you put on or a conference or whatever, uh, you don't get paid for it. But the idea is you are so compelling up on the stage while never, ever saying the words, hire me to do this, hire me to do that. You don't say it. You maybe drop in one subtle reference somewhere along the way uh, to having clients, at which point someone in the audience who loves what you're saying goes, oh, they have clients. Maybe they know what they're talking about. Maybe they can help me. And that's the whole idea behind uh, the free noter that Tom and Tamsin do. Um, but it's kind of, it was kind of what made me sit down and want to do the voice in my head. Cause I went, I've got all kinds of information that I should just be throwing out there as a freebie yet in my head was resonating a conversation that I had with someone that actually you reiterated for me, Dave, over pizza in Akron one night. Um, somebody sat down and said to me, you've done all this stuff. Why isn't there a big button on the internet somewhere that I can click and send you money? And I went, I don't have a clue. There you go. So that's why. Because well, I know for me, because um, DR had said, well, what about Podchaser and things like that? To me, you have to know why you're doing something. And yep. th- that will shape your content. Maybe you do a, a little stronger call to action if you want to or not, or if you're just doing it for fun. I know for me, uh, my numbers always go up in January because everybody and their brother has decided that this is the year that we're going to start a podcast. And coincidentally, in February, uh, my numbers go down a little bit because they went way up from, from you know, it's just a, a general spike every January for me. And so if I just looked at my numbers, I would I would be depressed in February because they always go down. And hmm. we're talking 2 3%. It's not a huge dive. Sure. But coincidentally, everybody that said they're going to start a podcast in January, those that actually want to eventually get up the nerve to join in February. So if I based my happiness or my success, he says here in quotation marks of my podcast on numbers, I'd be depressed in February. But in fact, I actually get happy in February because I base the success of my show on feedback and number of people that sign up for the School of Podcasting. How many downloads I get, I don't really, you know, I I look once a week when I upload the next episode, I go, oh, they're up from the last week or, oh, they went down a little bit or, or they're kind of the same again. It's just one of those things. So the, the things like Podchaser and Chartable and all this other ways of measuring stuff, to me, figure out why am I doing the podcast and come up with some sort of bingo Excel spreadsheet. And that's, you know, uh, podcasting is so much more like golf or you just did a, an episode on golf on your uh, podcast and it's also yeah. like bowling or any other sport where it's just you against you. And I saw somebody today in a Facebook group said, how can I look at other people's 
download numbers? Is there a way to do that? And I was like, what? you're just setting yourself up to compare against somebody else that might have a marketing team where you're an uh, you know, army of one or whatever and things like that. So, uh, so yeah. just know. Set a different metric. Have a different goal. Yeah. Because if if the only reason you're out is this goes back to the clout score conversation yeah. that we had, you know, uh, great, Justin Bieber, you're the only person on the planet that had a clout score of 100 because apparently you were the most influential people or the most influential person on the planet. What did you do with that influence? And at the time, with all due respect to the Biebs, uh, he was doing nothing with that influence. And so rather than count your downloads and and try to game the system to try and figure out how many of those are from people who are subscribed versus people who clicked on my tweet, blah, 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 blah. No. How many people did you help today? How many people reached out to you and said, I love your show? Uh, how many, all those kinds of things, like come up with a metric that matters. The only people that the download numbers matter to are the people who might sponsor your show. Um, That's which, it apparently for everybody is wild Turkey. Um, who knew? <laughs> oh, that's so hilarious. Yeah. Uh, we do have a question in the chat room and, uh, Steven says, uh, does it make sense to start a new industry news podcast, uh, and upload older episodes to fill the back catalog? I, I believe that is the definition of yesterday's news. Uh, like starting with number 320, and uploading episodes of 300 to 319. I personally would not do that because it is yesterday's news. Now, if it's a, a podcast with cooking tips, you know, and the, you know, episode one could sure. be, you know, something like that, that's evergreen. Sure. By all means. Also, I, I still don't think people care what episode number it is. Yeah. I, I no. They don't. That's that's an old. The only reason people give you episode numbers, um, first of all, knowing that I'm I'm sitting with a guy who gives the episode number at the beginning of every show. So you know, uh, I got to get used to the mirror and screen. It's down to the bottom. Three hundred and ninety-three. Yeah. So, uh, but the but the reason to do that is if you do have hundreds of episodes and people are like, "Wow, this cat's been at this for a while," but. If it's episode, you know, I've got one show that's like 52 episodes in. I'm not going to tell you it's episode 52 because 52 is nothing. Um, I mean, they're hard, they're hard, hard fought episodes and I worked very hard on every single one of them, but I'm not expecting to get credibility for having put out 52 episodes of something. It's just not a big deal. Yeah, there are uh, bands from the 80s that weren't good in the 80s, and they're still doing it today, <laughs> and they're still not good. So, yeah, it, where that came from. Here's, go ahead. The, the one way that that might work is, but not for an industry news thing. Like every once in a while, I get curious and I will jump on YouTube because it seems to be the best source for this kind of stuff, because I want to hear the I, I want to remind myself what the news coverage sounded like on 9-11. I want to remind myself what the news coverage sounded like when O.J. Simpson was being driven down that uh, that highway by Al Cowlings in the white Ford Bronco. I, every once in a while, it's fun to reminisce and listen to the news coverage from the day of. But I don't know that anybody is sitting around thinking to themselves, I would really love to hear that moment in history where uh, Spotify announced that Harry and Meghan were launching a brand new podcast almost immediately. How many years ago was that again? Um, 
I don't know that anybody needs to reminisce about that one. But if it were an actual news show where you're doing in the moment coverage of, I may have just given somebody the idea for a podcast where you grab bits and pieces of the audio coverage that was out there from certain moments in history. But I'm sure somebody's already doing that. That would work for me. But industry news, me, I don't know that people are clamoring for that. Yeah, DR says, but those numbers are what sponsors go by. Sure. True, true. Realize again that, and well, let's hold on. They go by download numbers. They don't go by episode numbers. They go by download numbers. So keep that in mind. And no, but I think that came up while we were still talking about about uh, your download numbers. And I said it was kind of a vanity metric. Yeah, it is. And But keep in mind that, like I have, right now, I have, it's, again, this, this is such a weird, but I, I have sponsors that want to sponsor the school of podcasting. And if I wanted to shoehorn some more ads into that thing, I'm like, no, I got two. That's enough. One really is enough. So there's like one and then a half, which is me. I gave me the half of one. And, uh, and, and so for me, but, and I have nowhere near 10,000 downloads an episode, nowhere, not even close to the, you know, stamps.com, you know, better help kind of stuff. So you don't have to have giant numbers to have a sponsor if you have a niche show, because the people that want to get on my show make podcasting stuff and they go, oh, you have a, you know, thousands of podcasters listening. Can you talk about my stuff? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm kind of full and I'm not going to cut. Again, my why is to get people to sign up at the School of Podcasting. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to pay me a lot of money to get me to not say that because, that's my bread and butter. So it, it depends. I do see people. Um, I'm in a, a Facebook group for anchor users. And that's kind of interesting because they're all looking at their total number of downloads. So they'll see like, hey, I'm up to 2000 downloads, but they've been podcasting for two years. And I don't know what their topic is, but the sponsors are looking at the number of downloads per episode, not the the total number. But sp- sponsors are just it's a tough it's a tough gig. It really is. Um, that's always safe. So here's the thing. And this goes back to the episode of your sh- of um, a school of podcasting that you and I did together, where mm-hmm. we talked about stuff that podcasters can take away from radio. Yeah. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot, even since that conversation. And, and one of the things that I keep thinking about is we were concerned in radio. And I, again, I started in radio in 1981. Um, we were concerned with the ratings when the ratings came out. And the ratings came out usually four times a year, um, and the and, and that was those were the the ratings periods that people can, were concerned about. There were also monthly numbers that you could access, but nobody cared about the monthly numbers. Those were again vanity metrics for radio. There was never a this obsession with how many people listen to the morning show today. Um, you know the, the the kind of I need day to day hourly updated numbers like podcasters do. Broadcast is all done, you know, at least radio is uh, done quarterly or monthly at the most. And so what that sort of freed us up to do was focus more on the content. Somebody says to me, how can I, and and I'm sorry, this is probably going to rub at least one person in the chat the wrong way. But when when people say to me, uh, how can I do a better show or how can I get more downloads? I say do a better show. Um, because content that people is, is good enough that people want to share it. Those people aren't asking, how do I get more downloads? It's the people that are out in the wilderness going, 
I don't understand why I only got 17 downloads for last week's episode and three of those were my family. Okay, so do a more mass appeal show, tweak your marketing, do something, get your podcast in front of somebody who will become your champion or whatever it is. But I see all the the sort of navel gazing about, well, you know, should I spend uh, $400 on this microphone or should I spend $700 on this kind of all-in-one solution, yada, yada, yada. And people are obsessing over every single element of the tech side and not so much worried about what's going into the microphone. And and I I feel like we would be in a better place. I saw somebody in the chat. I lost track of who said it. Oh, uh, River City Mystery Podcast. My podcast is a hobby. doesn't matter to me how many downloads I get. Bingo. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're in it purely for as a hobby, then have at it. Have fun doing it. Although there are people, and I, I don't want to mention any names, but there are people who will say, if it's just a hobby and you don't care whether it's more than your mom that listens, then email the MP3 to your mom and save yourself all the heartbreak of RSS feeds and hosting and all these different things. If you, if you are competent, if you're, if you're content with just having your friends and family listen to your podcast, email them the MP3 once a week and you're done. That's one way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I have a, I made it up years ago, a, the, the equation of downloads is the value in the episode multiplied by the marketing you do equals the total number of downloads. So if I have no value, zero, well, for those of you that remember math, anything times zero is zero. So it doesn't matter how much you market it. Nobody's going to want to listen to it because it's the Lone Ranger with Johnny Depp story, right? Uh, Disney just kept pouring money on it. And it just, the word of mouth was awful. Whereas you could have a great podcast, phenomenal show, but if you don't tell anybody about it, it's not going to say that it won't grow. It just grows painfully slow. So you, but the first yep. one is value. You have to have value. And that's where so many people, I think I, I heard someone, uh, I, I get to hear a lot of, and it's not fair, but I get to hear a lot of first, second and third episodes at Libsyn because it's a new person. They're just wanting me to look at things and this and that. And I, and, and on one hand, Again, kudos to them. They did something that a lot of people never did. They pressed record. They went through the the learning curve of publishing it, and it's out. And then I'll listen to it, and their theme music is only in the left channel. Uh, it's only like they. It's obviously that there's a pan button somewhere. Now, again, not the end of the world. Or their volumes are, are uh, you know, in this case. She was kind of like how we started this show. Uh, one person was much louder than the other. And it takes a second to, to figure that out. And uh, that's the stuff that I go, we need somebody who's not related to us to, you know, uh, I'll give you a story. I was at uh, PodFest, went to lunch with Steve Stewart, one of my my best friends in podcasting. And he said, you know, there are times when somebody brings up a a problem that you've heard probably multiple, multiple, multiple times. And he goes, he goes, there are times 
when the curmudgeon in you is is coming out a little more than usual and and just meaning my patience might be getting a little lower and i was that to me that's the best feedback ever because a anytime mm-hmm. you hear any kind of shall we say negative feedback or, or or a note as they say in the entertainment industry is does this have any value or does it have a, a valid point and i was like yeah i could definitely see me doing that so it's not where steve is off base is this something i want for my audience absolutely not i want to have a an open and a uh, safe place for people to to ask questions. And I was just like, that's so anytime I get great feedback like that, it wasn't praise, but it's, it's for me when you go, well, you had a restaurant when people come up and check out, they go, how was everything? And they go, oh, great. And then they walk out and never come back because the food was cold. It took forever to get there and whatever. So when you get any kind of feedback, that you can fix. I'm like, hallelujah, I can fix, I can keep the curmudgeon in the corner. So it's, it's always yep. great to hear that. So, but you got to have somebody give no, you the and, feedback. And, Go ahead. Well, and you and I still have to have the conversation that, uh, we first had a couple of months ago where we promised we were going to air check each other's oh. shows and, and we never got around to actually, I mean, I did it. I sat there and, and did the, uh, I went through a couple of episodes of school of podcasting and, and air checked them on you. Um, and I have my notes, but we, we've never actually gotten around to comparing <laughs> notes on, on our various shows yet. But that's some of the most valuable critiques that I've gotten are from. And, and again, this is probably a, a radio specific thing. And it comes over. It's one of the, I think, useful things that I brought with me over from radio is that there, even though the ratings only come out monthly or quarterly, there are times when you are blindsided by, wow, the ratings dropped off 14% and we had no idea why. Hmm. Um, and, and so what there is, is this obsession with being as good as you possibly can every single second, because like you and I talked about in that episode of School of Podcasting, if you're on the air, you're live. It's kind of like the YouTube version of this show right now. We're live. There is no going back and taking something out that I said that was stupid um, and and pretending like it never happened. Once you've said it, it's out there. Once you've done it, it's out there. And so you need to do as much of the work as you can before you say anything. It's one of the things I said on Twitter the other day that seemed to resonate with a bunch of people. I said, the easiest, if you can't afford coaching, if you can't afford, you know, uh, Dave Jackson and you can't afford me, um, then here's what you do. Uh, take, grab a pen and a piece of paper and do a transcript of your last episode. Then grab a Sharpie. Actually, just have a service do the transcript for you. The important thing where you actually need the pen, grab a Sharpie. Once you've printed that transcript out, grab a Sharpie, cross out everything in that transcript that doesn't belong there. And it's a very important step to do it with a Sharpie and a piece of paper because the neuroscientists will tell you that if you tie it to something tactile, hitting the delete button on a, on a screen doesn't work. But if you cross something out on a piece of paper, your brain welds a stronger connection to whatever that is that you've crossed out. And then the trick is once you've done crossing everything out, learn to cross those things out before they come out of your mouth. It takes time and it's a skill but it's one of those things that you can develop if you choose to. Plus, if you do that, it'll make your editing a heck of a lot easier afterward because you don't have as many things to cut. That's it. More planning, less editing. It's a seesaw. 
I did that this week with somebody had sent me a, they were trying to create a promo for their show and hmm. it, it took a while for them. What they're trying to show is one, it's about a video game and one person is very much um, rose colored glasses. And the other person, as they put it, is stuck in a, a black screen of death because they tried to go into the tower. So apparently the game locks up and stuff like that. I said, I get what you're trying to say there. I said, but it took you like 47 seconds to make that point. Why not just say, I'm an optimist. Like it's let's, let's get to the point that whole nine yards. So yeah. And, and what I did was I had them transcribe their, their promo. And I said, here's what this promos, here's the goal of the promos to get people to want to listen and explain what they're going to get. I said, so it's not what they were saying was wrong. We could just say that in a heck of a lot less words and keep the promo short and, and go to town and go that way. So, um, Gregory in the chat room. Oh, go ahead. You look like you're. Can I just throw a, yeah. one thing to put a bow on that conversation? And this has, again, this this becomes a topic on social media about, I feel like about once a month. Mm. Um, unless there is something unique about where I can find your podcast, please don't put, get it wherever you get your podcasts in your promo. Oh. Why? Why would you waste those four seconds of my life? By t- that would be like that would be like you call the fire department and you say my house is on fire and the nine one one dispatcher says we'll do all the stuff you do to put out a fire. Oh, I would never have thought of that. Now, if your podcast is only available on Spotify, if your podcast is only available through your website, whatever. Okay, that's when you tell me where to get your podcast. But if I can get it the same place I get all the other ones, why are you wasting my time? Yeah. For me, I always say put a link on your website and have an easy way to subscribe and follow to Amazon, Google, Spotify, and I'm missing one, Google. Amazon, Spotify, Google, no, Apple. See, it's it's the drugs. It's (laughs) it's the antihistamine. Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon are... um, and, and then when you say find it on my website, you're reinforcing your brand again, and you're making it easy for them to find because um, the I have a couple shows because they have the word podcast in them because my shows are about podcasting. They don't show up in search because everybody has the word podcast in it in their title. So it's just don't rely on the search in especially Apple and Spotify. They're it's just not good unless you have something very unique about your name. I've had people that, have, yeah. you know, it's a golfing podcast and they want to know why they don't show up when you search for golf. I'm like, because search is horrible. And you've got people yep. been doing it forever and yeah, that whole nine yards. So you, you think about uh, the stuff that you're going to put in your promo. Um, it needs to be the things that make me want to listen to your show. Um, telling me that I can get it everywhere I get my podcasts. That's not something that's unique about you. It's unique to uh, the, whatever it is, 4 million people that have podcasts. Uh, so don't waste promo time giving me information that's true. It's like back in the day, back in the day, um, people used to say in their radio commercials, I loved this. And again, it's one of those useless things that people just say because they used to say it. Find us in the yellow pages. No, don't find me in the yellow pages. That's the stupidest place you could ever send somebody because guess what's in the yellow pages? Every single one of your competitors yeah. <laughs> right there on the same page with you. Why on earth would you take those 30 seconds that belong to you exclusively 
and send me to somewhere where you're at the party with everybody that's trying to take money from you. And I, I just I've never understood the 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 lack of here's what makes me unique. And it's the same question that comes up. Why do you want to do a podcast in the first place? Well, because I offer this. It's almost like you need to my two cents. It's almost like approaching it like a business plan. If you if you put a business plan for a new venture together, one of the critical things that you have to do in your analysis is here's what sets this business apart. And that's a stake that you've stuck in the ground. And maybe that, you know, modifies and morphs over time. But you've established here's what it is that's going to make me different. And this is for now the yardstick that we measure everything by. And if you don't have something that is yours and yours alone, why have it in there? James Cridland was the first person I think that I heard say, James Cridland from Pod News, was this idea of just take your podcast, have your website, have a gigantic play button on your website that will let me listen to your podcast and only send me to your website. Now, here's what I've noticed about that. Um, when I do that, I take a little bit of a hit in downloads. And the reason that that happens is because when I link straight to the player from my host, mm. it shows up as a button that you can click on Twitter and it will play right there. If I link you to my website and there's an embedded WordPress player in an article, because mine is one of those annoying shows where uh, the blog post basically is the script for the episode. Well, it shows up as a link to an article and maybe people aren't as interested in reading the article as they would be in listening to a podcast episode. So I'm still struggling with how to make sure I encapsulate in 280 characters. Hey, this link takes you to my website where you can listen to an episode, but because it's WordPress, it looks in this tweet like I'm linking you to an article that I want you to read. Yeah, it's tricky, but that's the point. You want to send them to your website, and then also on yeah. your website, you want to have the way to subscribe. And speaking of that, let's uh, let's do this, because I was just on your website, and I was like, hey, where's your podcast at? And then you just answered my question. It's on the blog. So you can see yeah. what Neil is talking about there. And there's the player. And, of course, he's got the buttons right here where people can follow and get to the show. So if you want to. Has anyone ever told you you look like Johnny Lang's long-lost brother, another Canadian? It's a good thing. I've gotten over the years, I've gotten David Spade. I've gotten Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall I used to get a lot. Um, except I said that to Anthony Michael Hall once and Anthony Michael Hall says, and I loved this line. He says, that's so weird. I've got people coming up to me all the time saying, I look like you, <laughs> which was, I, I love him for that. He, he made me feel for 14 seconds. Like I was a big deal. It was good. <laughs> but while we're sharing our screen, this would be a good time to say thank you to our awesome supporters. By the way, I forgot to mention that website that you just saw Nop studios, K N O P P studios with an S Dot com is where you can find our special co-host today, Neil Headley of the show, The Voice in My Head. And it's Head, H-E-D, because his last name is Headley. Get it? It's fun. And so what we're going to do is say thank you to uh, people like James over at uh, the Dog Podcast Network. James, uh, James, Neil, do you have a dog? 
Uh, yes, a mini labradoodle. There you go. So if you need something to listen to while you're walking the mini lab, and the mini lab's name is? Uh, Pippa. Pippa. It's, it sounds British yeah. for me. For some reason, I want to say Pippa when I hear that. Well, because of Pippa Middleton. Oh, there you go. So um, uh, what we, the, we named the dog before we were aware of the member of the royal family, <laughs> and we've had to apologize to them on formal letterhead. It's not a good thing. <laughs> Guys with those big, you know, felt hats came come over. over. It was an ugly yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so the next time you go to walk Pippa, you can uh, pop on something from the Dog Podcast Network. They have short shows. They have long shows. They have shows over there, unfortunately. It's, it's good, but it's bad about uh, cancer because apparently it's like one of the number one um, leading cause of death among dogs is cancer. So they actually have a show dedicated to that and how to help your dog um, fight that fight if that's where they want to go. Check him out over at dogpodcastnetwork.com. And, of course, uh, ask the podcast coach runs on PodPage. If you want to try PodPage, try PodPage.com. And uh, when he's here, like right now, you're like, ah, no Jim Collison today. Go over to TheAverageGuy.tv. There's tons of Jim Collison over there. And uh, when you think podcasting, well, think School of Podcasting. And uh, there's tons of podcasts about podcasting on uh, that I do about that. And if you'd like to be an awesome supporter, simply go over to askthepodcastcoach.com slash support. And thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show. So I wanted you to answer. Neil had this question. Um, Neil, Neil had this question. Nope. Actually, it's Craig. Craig from Inglaeus. And you have to say Craig because he's got like my favorite thing. I, I roomed once with Craig and we were talking about, you know, the whole American versus British thing. And um, he said, man, Americans love the word awesome. He's like, they will say something like it was even Ugh. more. He's like, they, it was even more awesome. He's like, no, awesome is awesome. You don't do more awesome. And we literally, we go down to like the next session and we walk outside and there's this little seven-year-old kid holding his mom's hand going down the hallway. And he looks up at her and says, mom, that was awesome. <laughs> it was like, yeah. And scene. So, uh, but Craig asks, how did you train yourself? To speak without disfluencies, crutch words, etc., ums, urs, you knows. Is that from radio? How do you get better at it? I don't, I'm not even 100% sure where that observation came from because mm-hmm. I hear myself talk. I'll watch footage back of television appearances I've done and whatnot, and I'll, I'll hear myself umming and uhing my way through it. Although I did read a study once. Um, you know, this is much like podcasters finding uh, whatever service offers them the numbers that are the most appealing to them. I read a study about speech that says that people who use um and uh are actually, according to this study, more skilled communicators because what they're doing with the use of um or uh is they are pausing to think about what it is they're going to say next, but they are letting you know with um or uh that there is more to come and that they are not finished their thought. Mm. They are formulating whatever it is they're about to say next. And um and uh are merely the connective tissue between the two. And I thought, you know what? To a degree that resonates with me because I don't say um or uh when I'm done speaking. I only say um or uh when I'm about to say something else. And I've taken that momentary pause in my head to figure out exactly how I want to word it. That's it. It's a, uh, there's one right there. It's almost like a conjunction, right? You're going to join the first half of your answer with more that's coming 
because that's usually what somebody's doing. They're like, well, and uh, I think the blah, blah, blah. So I, I could see that. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, see, and I just did it again. Now you've got me thinking about it, it. And now I'm going to be obsessing over it for the entire rest of the show. Uh, there was something. Oh, the very first episode of The Voice in My Head was called The Awesomeness of Hyperbole. Mm. And it was based on this idea of the, the genesis for the episode was this traffic reporter that I used to work with uh, on, on my morning show who one day came on and talked about this apocalyptic commute. And so he literally said apocalyptic. And the reason it was apocalyptic to him was because there was a three car pileup pileup that had taken out the right lane of a three lane highway. So the right lane was out. There were still two lanes and even shoulders that you could get around, but the right lane was out. And for him, that was apocalyptic. And I said, dude, what are you going to do the day that an oil tanker rolls over and shuts down the entire highway for half the day? If if one lane for a three-car fender bender is apocalyptic, what adjectives do you have left to describe things when they really go wrong? Uh, and that's where awesomeness and stuff that you hear in commercials like biggest sale ever and all these different things come up. It's like, no, come on, call it what it is. You know, just because you jammed your man parts into a stair rail while you were doing a skateboard stunt, that is neither epic nor awesome. Stop destroying the language. <laughs> that's it. Um, let's see here. Uh, I believe this is actually Paolo. I, I know it says Vogon PT on the screen, but anyway, he says this is a very interesting subject. Would um, because his native language is Italian, I believe. Uh, would you say that if you are not speaking on your native language, it would come up more due to that um, chaining of your thoughts? In in other words, if it's not if English isn't your native language, would you probably um? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, because now you now you've got to figure yeah. out what you want to say, and then you got to figure out how how do you say blah 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 yes. in English. Yeah. Yeah. People who, for example, their native tongue is, is French or Italian or something like that. And they're trying to speak to me in English. They will um and ah their way through that entire conversation because in the moment they're trying to figure out the right word to use to say something. And I, I see as it's going by in the chat, um, Kim in particular, uh, not a big fan of the ums and the uhs. Uh, and I get that. Uh, and I just threw two more in, in the span of the last four seconds, not to tweak you, Kim, but just because they're there and they're so much a part of how I talk. It's hard to get rid of those, but much like Tom Webster's approach when he, and he makes a big deal out of this in his podcast, when he does, I hear things he'll, he'll stumble or, uh, or whatever. And then he will proudly proclaim not editing that, leaving that in. Uh, he'll yeah. call attention to the thing that most people try to edit out. And he's like, no, I'm leaving it there. Cause that's how I sounded in the moment. And I kind of take that same approach with my stuff. Although uh, back to the point that was raised earlier, I, I guess that is kind of a little bit of a holdover from radio is that I always have a sense of where I'm going and I've generally mapped out a route that's going to get me there. That's it. And I just called Nuno Palo, and uh, that was not even close, I guess, because there's a PT in there. I don't know. It's it's the antihistamine that's uh, working, Nuno. Sorry about that, buddy. Um, <laughs> but DR says, a while back, I won a radio contest to see how long I could speak without umming and uhing. I went 2.5 seconds. The um game. 
Yeah, actually, I've played the um game. <laughs> what's the, uh, the the host had to cut me off to go to commercial, but I still won. Uh, can you think of yeah. any like when it comes to? Uh, I know there was one here in Akron where they used to play Beat the Toaster. Do you do you know of? Do, can you remember any that you like? Wait, the game is what radio game that just seemed weird or wacky or whatever that you had to actually do. My favorite radio game ever that we played, uh, well, there were a few of them, but one of the ones that was always fun if you could get uh, two people um, who didn't know each other, uh, we called it, oh, it was just the question game. And so they had to have an entire conversation where the only thing you were allowed to say would be in the form of a question like you were playing Jeopardy. So you'd start out by saying, do you think it's going to rain today? And the response would have to also be a question, something along the lines of, well, hasn't it rained the last seven days in a row? This person here gets it. And do you find that annoying? And then this one back with and everything that gets said in the entire conversation has to be a question. And it's fun listening to people pivot on the fly. You know, it's kind of one of the great things about improv is and, and if you watch, you know, whose line is it anyway or any of those kinds of things. The word no is verboten in right. improv. You have to take what's been handed to you and run with it. Uh, yes, you're and. not allowed to. Yeah, yes, and thank you. Uh, my, and in case you find yourself with 22 minutes to kill today on YouTube and have nothing better to do, you need to Google the episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway, where Richard Simmons was the special guest. It is several minutes of the funniest television in television history. I'm just saying. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, DR says it too. It is the old yes, and yeah. I I was amazed. Mm-hmm. I um once had on my show a guy that was like an improv kind of trainer. And the thing that was amazing, because we did like an exercise is you're sitting here thinking, I I have nothing and we're going to start talking in a very short period. And it was amazing to watch your brain find something to say. It's just like, you're, you're thinking I got nothing. And then he said something and all of a sudden your brain went, let's say that. And you're like, okay. And then his brain went, well, and then, so it's, Anytime you, you think you, you're just going to bomb, you're not. Um, uh, speaking of that, speaking of improv, I'm running the beginner's track at PodFest. And the thanks to our good friend COVID, I just saw Tim say where I think he said five out of seven people in his house have COVID. There are a lot of, a lot of COVID flying around uh, everywhere. And uh, consequently, my two of my speakers didn't show up. And so I'm sitting there. And this person standing next to me goes, hey, what's uh, what's the subject again? I go, it's something about how to avoid the burnout using a VA. And he goes, oh, he goes, well, just just so you know, that that lady right over there has she runs a VA agency. And I said, oh, good. Mm-hmm. Put a microphone on her. And she said, I've never spoken in public before. And I said, that's OK. I said, I'm going to talk to you right up there on the stage for 30 minutes. I'm going to softball you a bunch of questions about VAs and you'll just answer them. And she was like, uh, okay. And again, it was not as, as, as harrowing as she thought it was going to be. She actually got down. She's like, did somebody film this? I have to show this to my husband. And it was funny. Cause I'm, I'm the MC of the room and I go, all right, coming to the stage. It's uh, what's your name again? Nadine. Okay. Nadine. Uh, what's your website? Okay. And off we went. And so, a lot of times the old improv thing is actually kind of fun. And again, don't undersell yourself. You'll, uh, you'll come up with something to say. Nadine rocked it. And of course, 
you know, we just answer the who, what, why, when, how, how much kind of thing. And, and it worked, but, uh, that's one of the, uh, it's funny that you bring that up too, because that's one of my favorite uh, tips, I guess you could call it about interviewing someone mm. is, and, and you were fortunate enough to be able to do it with this VA person mm. without really having any time to prep. There are people who, when they're doing interviews, are big fans of writing out their questions. How I'm going to, here's the first question I'm going to ask. Here's the second question I'm going to ask. Here's the third question. I can't tell you the number of times that when I've been going back and forth booking a guest for various shows, whether it was radio or podcast, they would say, can you, can you send me a list of questions? And I, my honest answer is always, no, I can't because I don't know what question two is going to be until I've heard the answer to question number one. Yeah. The one day that that kind of saved me a little bit, this fun story. Um, I'm doing an interview with Brian Adams, the singer, and it's on live television, but it's also going to be repurposed later for radio. And Brian that morning is in a surly mood. I don't know what had gone wrong for Brian's day. And it happens. It's not because he's a big star and he's a jerk. He just, he was a human and was having a rough morning. And in the middle of his rough morning, he got brought into my studio to sit down in front of cameras and do an interview. So for the first, I feel like 13 minutes of this interview on live television, you see Brian and he's in his chair like this. He's (laughs) leaned back. He's got his arms crossed, surly. And he's got a brand new album coming out called the 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 the, the tracks of my years, mm-hmm. which is the songs that kind of were on the radio when he was a young musician, and the songs that kind of influenced him. And it's his covers of all those songs. And I'm trying to get him to tell me about the record and the songs on the record. Blah blah. This is because he's done. 77 interviews already about this record and he's tired of talking about it. So we go to break, we come back from the break and lucky for me, I had done enough prep in advance that I was able to pivot with Brian. And so then I said, I brought up the fact that I I had a magazine in my hand where Brian had taken the cover photo because he's a photographer as well, Mm. like a world-class photographer. And I start asking him about the picture that's on the cover. Well, all of a sudden, Brian comes out of his shell and and he's there's a glimmer in his eye. And we have this remarkable conversation after that that wouldn't have happened if I had had my list of questions written out because my list of questions didn't leave room for Brian's in a surly mood today and doesn't want to talk about the album. He wants to talk about something else. So my my tip about interviewing somebody has always been know enough about your guest that you can have a compelling conversation with them because that's all an interview is, is it's a conversation that's so interesting that it's worth eavesdropping on. Uh, have a compelling conversation with someone without having to You go to a dinner party. You know, and you're you're that group in the corner over here that everybody wants to be a part of because you're having such a great conversation. How many of those dinner parties have you ever walked into where you had a list of questions that you were going to ask somebody that you bumped into at the party? That happens to you exactly zero times ever in the history of your life. Approach your interviews the same way. Know enough about your guest that you can pivot, that you can still talk and you can still have an interesting conversation without having to have the questions spoon fed to you. Yeah, DR says... um there've been so many times that I've, I've been asked something and an hour later I go, Oh, I, I, I didn't mention so-and-so or whatever. Uh, God, I wish I had a do over. And, uh, yeah, that's, 
the reason I switched my workflow, I used to get my four bullet points. I'd, I'd pull them out of my head. I would talk to my invisible friend across the desk. And then as after I edited it, I, as I was uploading it, I would start to type up show notes. I would expand it into a blog post. And inevitably, I'd be like, ah, oh, crap. You know what I should have said there? Like, there's one more bullet point. And then it was a matter of, do I go back and re-record it and blah, blah, blah. And I think probably the second or third time I had the, ah, oh, crap, I should have said this. I was like, hold on. And I now write out a blog post to figure out what the heck I'm trying to say. And like, what's the main focus of either the segment or the blog post or whatever it is. And then I boil down my bullet points, recorded my invisible friend across the desk and then edit it and up we go. And I haven't had that experience yet. So it's just a matter of, for me, it just means sitting down and going, okay, Dave, what are you trying to say? Because yeah, I need a little focus that way. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple, uh, another story. And I don't do this to name drop. I just do this as, as examples. Um, Annie Wershing that just got finished playing the board queen on Star Trek Picard. Um, At the time that I did the interview, her character had just been, she was on my radio show the morning after her character had been killed off on 24. Wow. Annie Wershing at this point was everywhere. She was all over television because everybody wanted to talk to Annie Wershing, except that the problem was that Annie Wershing had given an interview to somebody where she talked about how as a teenager, she was a competitive Irish step dancer. And so every single interview that Annie Wershing did from the day she was cast on 24 until the day her character was killed off on 24, everybody asked her about Irish step dancing. Mm. I get her on the phone. And before we go on the air, I said to her, Annie, listen, Big fan, love your work, love your character, sucks that you're dead. By the way, I promise I'm not going to ask you about Irish step dancing. She laughs and she says, we'll see. After we were done, she enjoyed the interview so much that she called me out on Twitter. And she said, how refreshing was it to do an interview with somebody who actually took the time to do their research? But again, for me, that was just... That's just how I approach my interviews. I never write out my questions. I only ever know what question one is going to be. And then we have an actual interesting, engaging conversation after that. And if I forget something, that gives me a reason to book you to have have you back on the show again next time. There you go. And what I, I say this all the time. When you do an interview that's not like everybody else's interview, that's the interview that people share. So immediately... She went to Twitter to start talking about this, this, because you stand out like a sore thumb. It's like, holy cow, this person actually did his research. And I, it's, it's interesting because the people that do it, you see people, they're, they're interviewed, the guests, I guess in this case, will say, holy cow, wow. Uh, I've been watching Hot Ones is a YouTube show that's now on Hulu. And I love it because Hulu knows how many episodes I've watched and which ones I haven't. It just keeps serving me up the next one. And every other interview, the guest is like, how did you know that? And it always leads to an an interesting story or whatever. Jordan Harbinger is another guy that is uh, my favorite Jordan Harbinger one was he's interviewing Kobe Bryant and somehow had found out that Kobe Bryant was into art like in high school. And I was like, who knows? Like Kobe Bryant's all basketball, basketball, basketball. And he asked this question and he said, because Kobe had made like a children's book or something. 
and said, mm-hmm. you know, what what made you decide to go into to children's books? I knew you were into art in high school. And I was like, whoa, that's that's crazy. And it leads for a better interview. It leads to something that people are going to share and that whole nine yards. And uh, and plus, exactly what, what you did is, okay, they're kind of tired of answering the same old questions. You've got the background now to go someplace else, and they perk up. Back to 24 for a second. I yeah. had a Twitter fight with Sean Astin. Uh, you know, from the Goonies and from uh, Stranger Things and all those different things. Sean Astin and I had a Twitter fight because I said that the way that his character was killed on 24 uh, was uh, pure fiction and a person couldn't actually die that way. We had the initial argument on my radio show, but then it carried over to Twitter and we had we got the director of 24 involved, the guy that directed the episode. Like it, it turned into this thing, but it turned into a thing because I wasn't asking him the same questions that everybody else had been asking him. Um, I, you know, I asked him about uh, thinking about his his father, who, of course, was in the Adams family right. uh, and and about whether his relationship with his dad sort of informed the character that he was playing in a children's series called Special Agent Oso which was a Disney Junior animated series that he was playing this, you know, this, this panda bear. Um, but it was, it was a question that nobody had ever tied his Disney work together with his dad. And it was, it just became this, it, it was finding, even if it's the same questions that people have already asked, find a way to ask it that allows the guest to answer it in a new way. Take the workload off of them so that they don't have to just trot out the same, yeah, we really like this album because we really feel like we're growing as artists and we really think that the fan... No, they're tired of giving that answer. Give them, some, give them a chance to say things that they haven't gotten to say before. And sometimes, if you're lucky, you'll stumble into a thing that, oh my gosh, I've been dying to talk about this for ages and I've just never... Nobody's ever asked me the right way before. And they get things off their chest that no one else had ever given them the opportunity to do. Well, the other thing I do, because I have one right here, I just wrote down the word first. And the reason I do that is I want to listen. And because you've said, I will only give them the first question and then the conversation goes from there. So now my question is, because you've said that a couple of times, like, okay, how do you come up with the first question? The first question is always the springboard, the, the thing that I think will be the springboard to the most, to, to an interesting conversation. If I was going to interview you, and, I, and I'm literally just thinking about this as you've put it to me, I, my question to you, my first question would be, Dave, you've got, by my last count, seven podcasts, I think, right now that you are the host of. What's a podcast that you've always wanted to do? as almost like a guilty pleasure podcast, but you've never gotten around to doing it. And why haven't you done it yet? Ooh, do you want me to actually answer that? Or should we say that? Yeah. For, um, there's two. Um, one, I want to go interview homeless people because there's a story there. Somebody doesn't wake up today and say, you know what? Um, it's uh, it's 27 degrees outside in Ohio, and we've got a negative chill factor. Uh, I think I'm going to go stand on a corner and hold up a piece of cardboard that says, you know, uh, Vietnam vet needs food. And I'm like, okay, how how did that person end? Because there are certain people that will like, well, don't give him any money because he's just going to go spend it on drugs. You know, it's like, all right. So, sure. so I always kind of want to go 
and it's the other thing is I want to help. I, it's that whole helping thing that teachers like to do. I just like, look, I don't know how to solve the homeless, but I might be able to help solve your problem. I don't know what it is. So there's one. And then the other one was inspired by PodFest because I got into some interesting conversations about, and I have to be very careful how I say this because I swim into my privilege. I get it. I'm a middle-aged white guy who did not have to go through a yep. whole bunch of stuff that other people did. But on the other hand, I also am a middle-aged white guy that acknowledges that I grew up in a culturally blind and stupid environment. And I would love to have people come on my show to like, hey, can we can we talk about pronouns? Because I, I personally don't – I'm missing something here. I don't get it. Hey, can we talk about this? Can we – like – it, it, it would probably be like building a better day, which I already have, um, and – just like, can we have a conversation about it? Can we have a, a dialogue? Because I'm going to say things that are probably wrong, but I don't know that they're wrong yet. And I need to be able to say those so that you can correct me so that I can learn. I would love to have, I think I would love to have that podcast. Because I think people. So say, if I'm analyzing this conversation after the fact, mm. the question, not that I'm patting myself on the back for this, but the question that I asked Dave and his allows him to give me an answer that then opens the door for me. If I don't know what question two is going to be yet, mm. I can go down any road I want mm. because he laid out seven or eight different paths that I can take based on his answer to my first question. And I set him up that way deliberately because I knew that there was going to be some nugget there of a show that because we've all got shows, we've all got podcasts that we kind of secretly are thinking about starting, um, but that we never get around to. I've got a bunch of them. I've got one that I got two episodes in and then ran out of money. Um, but we've all got those. And so I knew Dave would have an answer, a million different directions to go in based on that. Well, the other thing that I, I try to analyze really good answers, like when somebody gives a really good answer, like what was the question? And in some cases, it seems like when you get someone to talk about themselves, which instead of talking about the movie, the album, the podcast, when they talk about themselves, now they've got to turn internally. And that's where the ums come in because they like, ah, and they got to figure out how they're going to sound and how they're going to look and things like that. Uh, I was watching Howard Stern and he asked, uh, he was interviewing Ben Affleck and there were a couple different really killer answers. And I was like, what was up with, and he's like, oh, he's asking him to comment on his own work. And that was kind of interesting to have him say, well, I like this, but I wish I would have done this and that whole nine yards. So, um, which is kind of what you did. You said, Hey, what are the two shows you would want to do or, or the one show you'd want to do? And I was like, Hmm. So it's, it's, again, I have to get into my own head to, um, to do that. But, uh, yeah, so you said I didn't want to slap myself on the back. That was a really good question. So kudos to, to, to that. It's almost like you've been doing this for uh, how many years? <laughs> I don't even want to think. I think now I'm at the stage where um, no, radio stations probably don't want to hire me anymore because they look at my resume and they go, well, he's been doing this for 40 years. He's got to be pushing 70 by now. Ah. And, and to, like, Because I, I, I started in the business right before my 13th birthday. Um, shh, there's probably like labor laws or something that were probably violated along the way, but we don't talk about that. Uh, and, and so I've been, I've been at it for ever. Uh, and I wouldn't trade a second of it because it's been some, it's been a lot of fun along the way. So what happens to you when you hear someone start a podcast with, so tell me a little bit about yourself. 
Oh, no, no, <laughs> that's you're supposed to have done the research where they don't have to tell. I, I've heard people say in their defense, I've heard people say, if I get them to tell me about themselves, uh, if I ask that question straight out of the gate, then I don't have to introduce them by reading their bio. No, the reading their bio doesn't happen during the interview. It happens either off the top of the show or it happens on your website or it happens in your promo, all of those things. You don't start by reading someone their own resume or asking them to read it to you. No, cut straight to a really good first question that allows them to open up and take the conversation places. Yeah, that uh, I remember once I was listening to, I think it was on the podcast rodeo show, and this guy had an enormously long LinkedIn bio in the, the host was like, well, he went to so-and-so and Poughkeepsie and blah, blah, second in his class and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, it's just going on and on and on, you know, his, his cat's name is Mr. Giggles and uh, is married to Nancy and blah, blah, blah. And welcome, you know, whatever more to murder the show. And he, his first question was, did I miss anything? And I was like, oh, please, are you going to like open up the door for more boring? I was like, it was just so weird. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So, um, I mean, there is one interesting version of that that I've heard. And I think one person that I, I've heard do it more than anybody else, and it's somebody they really respect, is uh, Dan Harris. Uh, his podcast is called 10% Happier. Mm-hmm. He's from uh, ABC News. And Dan tends at the end of his interviews to say, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't get to? Which to me is an interesting tactic because it's kind of a way of coming back around to, is there something that you're passionate about that we can have sort of an offshoot conversation that I just never got around to asking you the right way? But it's interesting because the way he asks that question is almost like, listen, I'm not going to pretend that I'm perfect and that the only thing, interesting things you have to say are the things that I've asked you. So is there anything else you want to throw in here? I, I, I didn't have an appreciation for that question until I heard some of the answers that Dan would get back from his various guests. And I mean, the guys interviewed the Dalai Lama like 15 times for crying out loud on his podcast. Um, so it, it's just one of those where I like watching and listening to people who are far better at this stuff than I am and grabbing whatever nuggets I can from them, passing them through my filter of would I be able to pull that off and still have it sound and feel genuine? And if it does, then periodically I'll adopt those. I haven't adopted the, did I forget to ask you anything yet? I tend to save that as a question for when the interview is over. Right. But before we've left Squadcast or Iris or whatever it is we're using to record. uh, And then if there is something, then I'll find a way to cut that back in. But I don't I don't do it during the body of the show in a way that I intend for people to hear me asking that question. And again, I'm not a big fan of editing, so I, I try to avoid doing as much extraneous stuff as I possibly can. But once in a blue moon, somebody will surprise me and they'll go, oh yeah, I wish we had gotten to this thing. See, I'm with you. I, I might ask that question before I've hit stop. And then if they say, I wish I would have talked about the such and such, 
I'll throw them up a softball question for them to talk about it, and then I'll edit it out. Because to me, the is there anything else I should have asked you about? It doesn't make you sound completely unprepared, like tell us a little bit about yourself, but it just seems like, Oof. yeah. Um, but I was like, there's let's which one sounds better? Is there anything I should have asked you? Or here's just another question, and then you keep the, the flow going. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I like to, uh, um, through smoke and mirrors, make it sound like I'm just brilliant with a new question. <laughs> so Well, and it's funny because I come at this, and you asked about the voice in my head and, and why I started that show. There are so many of these little bits and pieces that I've picked up along the way, but that I'm super passionate about. And, you know, like the the conveniently located in a commercial or, you know, uh, when a DJ says it's 7.15 on a Tuesday. Dude, if I need you to tell me it's Tuesday, I've got far bigger problems than you can solve for me. But those kinds of things, like I have heavy duty, hard, carved in stone opinions about. And again, this goes back to 40 years of radio where you are hyper conscious of the fact that if they're not digging you on live radio, they have 20 or 30 other options for live radio that's happening right now somewhere. And once they're gone, they're gone. There's no pause button on you when your conversation starts to drag because they know that they can come back and listen to you later after they've finished doing whatever. No, no. Once I lose you, you're gone. And I've lost credit in the people meter for you listening to the show. So the numbers are going to do this for that particular break, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody that's on live radio or live television, they are hyper aware of the fact that unless there's a way for you to go back and listen to or watch this after the fact, they have to do everything they can every second to keep you or you're not coming back. That's it. Well, one question we should probably ask is uh, knopstudios.com. What the heck is K-N-O-P-P? Knop. It's an acronym. It's the first, it's the first initial of all of the first, uh, the first names of everybody that lives in our house. Oh, there we go. So there's my wife, Chrissy. That's the K. I'm the N. There's daughters and dogs and all kinds of other things in there that are the O-P-P. Pippa. We know know, Pippa is one of the P's. Pippa. (laughs) <laughs> yep. There's my daughter, Poppy, which is another of the P's. There's my daughter, Olivia. That's the O. So I just, I, you know, I, I I could have called it something more grandiose, Neil Headley and Associates, but eh, yeah. um, I just decided to have some fun with it. And it became a subject of conversation, which I still have to address on my own show one day. I promised I was going to address where the NOP thing came from, and I never did. I got to get to that. That's it. We're all waiting. That's why I asked. I've been waiting for... Oh, yeah. Breathlessly. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you want to check out Neil, uh, check him out again. K-N-O-P-P-Studios.com. He does all sorts of fun stuff. Copywriting, coaching, production, whatever you need help with voiceover. He's got... Um, he's a funny guy. You kept making me laugh, which made me cough. So thanks for that. Things like that. Um, and one, one day we'll have to get. One day we'll have to tell the the, uh, the Norm Macdonald story. Yeah, did uh, I tell you the Norm Macdonald story over pizza that day? I don't think so, but I think I did. It's a podcast. We can go long if you want. Do you want to tell the Norm Macdonald story? Do we have to. We got we got two minutes. We got can two, I take minutes. two minutes to tell the I story. Am. I'm gonna. I'm hitting the stop okay. button on the the intro music and all that crap, and because um, I'm okay. dying to hear the. the um, Norm, are you gonna? Does this include a Norm Macdonald imitation? It does. Okay. Uh, so I 
did stand up for eight years. Uh, not full time. I mean, I was at the same time doing radio and doing a million other different things, but I did stand up for eight years and was paired a lot on the road with Norm McDonald. We had the same agent. And so I probably did, I don't know, 300 or more shows with Norm over the years and got to know his act like the back of my hand and can quote big, long sections of Norm's act for you. But the Norm story is interesting in that there's two, there's two distinct segments to it. So Norm and I are both included as 15 comics who are invited to perform in something called a showcase, which is basically where you're auditioning for someone for something, but you don't know what it is. It might be a role in a sitcom. It might be something for a TV commercial. They might be casting for photos for something. You never know what it is or who it's going to be. And they don't tell you until after the fact. So I was lucky enough that I guess it was probably the background in radio. I only in eight years really only ever bombed badly twice. One of those two times was on this showcase where like I was so bad. People were in there, you know, 300 people in the club and they're looking and they're going, get off the stage. You're blocking my view of the brick wall. Like it was that bad. Um, Norm comes on right after me. and like mops up the floor like they adored norm he he was you know heaven's gift to comedy at that moment because he wasn't me and sure enough six weeks later i can't remember whether it was saturday night live or whether it was letterman um it was one of those two things but six weeks so the casting turned out to be for the casting people from either snl or from letterman and that's where norm kind of got discovered was that night Mm. fast forward to 2000 and i want to say 2006 2007 norm's on his umpteenth tour for his umpteenth hbo special and you know dvd set and whatever and he's doing the media tour and so he's going to be on my show well i get him on the air and i said norm i'm not sure if you remember me and he goes Oh, geez. Remember you? Geez, if you hadn't bombed so bad that night, I wouldn't have had a career. Uh, you're terrible. And I got on the show for that. That's, uh, listen, I'm coming to your town. You, you want to come and bomb in front of me again? Because I could use all the help I could get. And I hadn't done stand up at that point. I hadn't done stand up in like 10 years. Uh, and Norm was gracious enough to invite me out to go and do like a 35 minute set in front of him at this, you know, whatever it was, eight hundred seat theater that he was performing at. And it was just a great time, but it was, it was just one of those fun experiences. And, and it was, it was a fun interview to do with him because once someone's handed you something like that, you ain't going to bomb in front of me again. Um, (laughs) Good luck not having a fun interview to, to follow the rest of that experience. It was just a blast. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if it's released, but he recorded a special to be played after his passing. And I, I know, it, I think it's coming to Netflix or someplace, but uh, it's on its way. So that should be uh, very interesting. So in my mind that uh, I've heard about that. And it reminds me of the album that Warren Zevon recorded yeah. when he knew that he uh, was not long for this world. Yeah. And you listen to that album in an entirely different way. 
yeah. uh, than any other thing that Warren ever did. And so part of me really wants to see the Norm special. Part of me feels like I can't watch it because, you know, again, we did, we killed so much time in hotels yeah. on the road. To, you know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, that'd be tough. It's going to be different. Yeah. So, Neil, thanks for coming on the show. Again, uh, com. Uh, Jim will be back next week. Hopefully, our good friend COVID will uh, leave the premises. That would be a nice thing so I could breathe and talk and things like that. Uh, anything coming up in the next 32 seconds um, that you want to talk about on your show? Uh, Copywriting 101 is a course that you will also find on my website, but we are tweaking the course a little bit so that it becomes one of those take the course at your own pace situations. Evo Terra says that every podcaster on the planet needs to be a better copywriter. That probably includes you. There we go. Thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you next week with another episode of Ask the Podcast Coach.